13 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. And we'll just read one verse before we get into the message this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, Paul the apostle writing to the church of Thessalonica, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Gracious Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. And Lord, you want us to have hope. The hope of the world is not in government. The hope of the world is not in education. The hope of the world is not in family. The hope of the world is not in finances. The hope of the world is solely and always has been and always will be in Jesus Christ alone. So I pray again, Lord, that everyone here, their hope, their trust, is not in what they can see, but what they can't see. For the invisible things are more powerful and more important than that which even we can see today. Help us, Lord Jesus, understand the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who came to be born in this sinful world for the sole reason of dying on that old rugged cross and shedding his blood so that everyone here, everyone in the world could have everlasting life. We thank you for that hope that we have this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reading about Christmas songs. A lot of people are singing different Christmas songs, some sacred, of course, that's what I like the most, but obviously some secular. Of course, one popular song this time of year is a song called Santa Claus is Coming to Town. It was written by a man by J. Fred Coates in Haven Gillespie and first recorded by Harry Reiser and his band. It was first covered by a man by the name Eddie Cantor on his radio show in November 1934. And immediately it became a hit. Within 24 hours, it sold 500,000 copies of sheet music. <laughs> it wasn't on the Apple to, uh, top, top list to download from your phone. A little bit different back then. And more than 30,000 records. How many remember records? How many still have some records? Yeah, records, you know. Crosby to the Jackson 5. And everybody in between has sang... Santa Claus is coming to town. But dear friends, let me tell you, by the authority of the word of God, that song is a myth. You know that, right? Nobody look at me and shake it. What? Don't, don't, don't start crying. Don't start. I've heard people actually leave the church because they just found out Santa Claus is not real. But I'm here to tell you guys, Santa Claus is not real. It was, it was based, that song, and so many like it, is based on a myth. But the songs we sang in service this morning is not based on a myth. It's based on the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, if you live on that myth, 
Dear friend, I promise you, you're going to be disappointed. But if you trust in this word, which is true, you cannot be disappointed. What we're going to talk about today is the next coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when, we, when will we see Jesus again? Now, some people say, why in the world do we even talk about prophecy? That's like, you know, way down there, pie in the sky, further on. You know, why not talk about issues of the day and problems of the day? Let me give you a couple reasons why I even talk about prophecy. Because trust me, I talk to preachers and evangelists and people in the ministry. And some of them don't even touch the area. Because there's so many different opinions. And there are good and godly people that believe different things about prophecy. But I'm going to give you three reasons why we believe prophecy. First of all, because one-third of this entire book is about prophecy. So if you didn't study what's going to happen in the future, you would miss part of the Word of God. Now imagine Christmas Day, I come to you and I say, okay, I'm going to take away a third of your presents. How would you feel? You wouldn't be very happy with me, would you? The Grinch doesn't come. No, you would be upset. But dear friend, if you don't read prophecy, you're going to miss a third of, it's in the, of the Word of God. Secondly, the only sure way we can know what's coming in the future is not from horoscopes, believe it or not. It's not by licking your finger and putting your hand in the air and feeling the wind. It might be a little rough this morning. It's not from what's popular on social media. It's not what you see on ABC, CBS, NBC, or Fox News. It's not what you see on media. How can we know the future? You know the future from the Word of God. This is where we find the Word. This is where we find the truth. I can tell you some things that was prophesied in the Old Testament that surely came to, came to pass already in the New Testament. It prophesied in Isaiah chapter four, 7 and verse 14 that Jesus was born a virgin. Was Jesus born a virgin? The Bible says so. Was Jesus born in Bethlehem? I've been to Bethlehem. Yes, he was. Micah 5, 2. Was Jesus rejected by the Jews and Gentiles? Yes, he was. It's all through the scriptures. Psalm 2, 1, 22, 12, 118, 22. Was Jesus persecuted? Yes, he was. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Was there a triumphal entry into Jerusalem by Jesus Christ? Yes, there was. Actually, there's over 300, over 300 prophesied events that Jesus actually fulfilled in his life. So, dear friends, one-third of the Bible is about prophecy. We know what's happening in the future, and the only way to know for certain what's going to happen in our future is to know the Word of God. And thirdly, by studying the book of Revelation, which is mostly about future events, we get a blessing. Do you need a blessing this morning? Raise your hand if you need a blessing. Some of you don't need a blessing. What's wrong with you? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. By just reading the, the, the word of God, specifically this prophecy, find a revelation, we are blessed. Fourth, we know the past and the future of specifically Israel. Man, if you'll put the, if you'll put the little graph on the screen, if you would, at this time. There you go. We missed a little bit of it. Sorry, I'm a little bit didn't, didn't check it beforehand. But if you could see, uh, there starting there with 445 B.C., the decree of our, our taxes, our exerces, 
There's 69 weeks. 7, 62. Oh, we able to fix it? Well, while they're working on that, let me read to you. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon the, upon the people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of his sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of prophecy, to anoint the most holy people. Now stay with me. Y'all with me? Everybody with me? You're here. You're awake. Okay, so make sure. God told Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, he's going to deal with Israel in a length of time called 70 weeks. Now, how many days are in, seven, are in a week? That's good. I'm glad you guys got that. But in, in this prophecy, a week is not seven days. It's seven years. So when Xerxes basically said in 445 B.C., we're going to rebuild the temple. And that's when he said it. From there, 47 weeks, 49 years, because 7 times 7 is 49. You got that? You guys are doing good. You're doing good. We're awake. We're awake. Add another 62 years, 7 times uh, 62, 434, until, and you find later on if you read this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, until Messiah is cut off, which happened in 400, which happened in 32 AD, which equals 69 weeks. After that time, God, in his grace, gave a parenthesis of time, which you see there, called the church age. That's also called the, the time or the space for grace. This is not involving the church. This is not involving the Jews. This is involving God's people. God, God gives the opportunity for, for, for the, the people who are going to be saved to be saved, to trust in Christ is their Savior. For the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's an age when people, we're living in right now, this time, the church age or the age of grace, when people can know Christ as their Savior and trust Him. But after this age is over, and I believe, I believe we're at the end of the end of the church age. That's what I believe. I believe we're towards the end of the end of the church age, because and there's lots of reasons for that. One of them is a reestablishment of the nation of Israel. And that was key for things to happen. But the 70th week is the last week, and it is what we call the tribulation. We're right before the tribulation, which is seven literal years. We believe the next thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. So we will no longer be here. And I'll explain that a little bit, a little bit later. That, that all starts not actually with the rapture of the church, but with Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where, Christ, where the Antichrist will make a covenant, make an agreement with, with, the, with Israel. At the beginning of, at the middle, middle of that, the abomination of the temple, where the Antichrist will go into the quote-unquote holy of holies of the new temple that's going to be built and desecrate that holy of holies. After that, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And at the end of that seven years, we will come back and rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. This is called the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, you say, you believe all that. I do. Why? Because something you have to understand about the Bible. We believe the Bible literally. Literally, naturally, normally. For instance, you wake up this morning... Front line, front of the other news, all the newspapers, the president fell asleep at a NATO meeting. How would you interpret that? He clo normally, 
Naturally, literally. You wouldn't think, oh, he just closed his eyes. Oh, he was praying. Oh, oh, he was meditating. No, the headlines of all the newspapers in America, it said the President of the United States was at NATO meeting and he, and he was sleeping. We would all look at it and say, that's normal interpretation. We believe what it says. Dear friends, if we'll believe that from the Gainesville Sun and the New York Times, why can't we believe this literally? Now, obviously, in any type of literature, there is figurative language. And we know that's true because it tells us ahead of time that it is figurative language. But normally, naturally, literally, we interpret this. It's very important. And again, all we're talking about this morning, you may have a different opinion. You may have been taught something different. If you were in Brother Pete's class this morning, you learned about a, a mid-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture. Or maybe you believe in a pre-wrath rapture. There's, all, there's different interpretations of this. Maybe that's where you believe, what you've always believed. And I hope after this we can agree to disagree. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Have you ever agreed to disagree? Aren't you glad you're still married? Because if you if you disagreed every time you every, if you disagreed every time you had an argument, you'd be pretty costly, wouldn't it? Well, you wouldn't have money to get here this morning. You'd be broke if every time you had a disagreement, every time you you had little little raw, you got upset and you got frustrated, you quit. Man, sometimes, dear friend, we have to disagree disagree in life. That's part of that's you know what that part is maturity. That means you're an adult. That means you look at things and say, okay, man, disagree a little bit, but, this, but we're going to tell you, I'm going to tell you today exactly what we believe the Bible teaches and has taught for 32 years. And next, I want to tell you, this is not something that we, that we believe came in the 1800s. Now, it may have been more emphasized in the 1800s, like during the Dark Ages, instead of works being, uh, instead of grace being more emphasized, works was more emphasized. But the Bible taught grace all the way from the beginning of the New Testament. And so is prophecy. What I'm teaching you today, if I only learned this from the 1800s, friends, I wouldn't be teaching it this morning. It may have been more emphasized in the 1800s or different periods of history. But what I'm teaching you this morning, I can say this is what the Bible says. Because I would not be up here teaching you something that people say, well, you got that from a guy who started teaching me in the 1800s. No. I got this because what the Bible says, because what Paul said, because what Peter said, who what John said, and for what Jesus said. So we're going to look at what the scriptures say. So, dear friend, you don't even have to be raptured. You don't have to believe in the rapture to be raptured. But you have to believe in Jesus to be raptured. And dear friend, that is the most important truth. That you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Because you say, preacher, I don't even believe in the rapture. If you don't believe in the rapture and you're saved, you're going to be in the rapture. But dear friend, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, no, you, 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 you're, going to, you're going to miss the rapture, but more importantly, you're going to miss everlasting life. And the most important decision you can ever make in this life is knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That is the most important thing. So this morning, I want to give you seven reasons why we, as a church, believe in a pre Tribulation, rapture. Number one, the early church was told to expect the Lord's coming. 
Number one, the Lord's the early church was, was told to expect the Lord's coming. You're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Read it again, but I would not have you to be ignorant. They were, they were concerned. They were, they were, they were confused. They were, they were, they were, they were frustrated. He, and Paul's writing to the church. I don't want you to be ignorant about this, brethren. He's talking. He's writing to a church concerning this which are asleep. He's talking about those who are already dead, those who are already gone on. That, they, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so them, which, them also which are asleep in Jesus will, 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 will God bring with him. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise at first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, and there we get that word rapture, caught up together with them in, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So what's going to happen in the rapture? Specifically, Christ will come from heaven with his saints. He will stop in the clouds, and the heavenly host of saints will continue those who've gone on, ahead, gone on and passed on before us, the heavenly host of saints continue in their descent to earth to return to the place where their bodies were buried. Then, we, then they, when they, when they, they will then receive their incorruptible bodies and come out of the graves. graves. We who are alive and remain will be, will, will be changed to our incorruptible bodies. It, can you say amen if your body's struggling this morning? You have a body that's corruptible. You got some aches, you got some pains, you got some sufferings, you got some sorrows. Well, this, 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 this corruptible will put on incorruptible, the Bible tells us. We will be caught up together, those who went up before us and those who are still alive and remain. Every person who knows Jesus Christ, we will meet together in the air. That's what it means by the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's Mary Lane's favorite verse. Y'all guys didn't get that. I'll tell you later. Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. Our life is in heaven. From whence also we look for that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. James chapter 5 verse 8, be also patient, establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We believe in the rapture of the church because the early church believed and looked for the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what they longed for. Secondly, Jesus personally promised to take us away. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if we're not so, we're told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is not a figurative place. This is not a metaphoric place. This is a real place right now. Right now, Jesus Christ, who sits, on the right, who sits on the right hand of the Father, is making intercession, prayers for us. And also, he is preparing each 
person who knows him as his Savior and Lord a place to dwell. Oh, place, your, your, your place might have some holes. It may have some, uh, it may have some issues. It may have some cockroaches. And I've been in $500,000 homes on the beach and they had cockroaches. They are an enigma. You may have fire ants or any type of ants. You may have all kind of issues, but dear friend, you're getting ready to have a perfect home that won't need any painting, praise the Lord. Won't need any pressure washing, praise the Lord. It won't need any more bleach, praise the Lord. Won't need any remodeling, and all the women said, or oh me, some of y'all want to remodel even in heaven. I know you. Hey, it'll be over because it's a perfect place. He's preparing it for us. Thirdly, God has promised to save us from the wrath that has come. Remember, great tribulation that you can read about. Primarily in the book of Revelation, but also sometimes in, in, the, in the Old Testament, it's going to be the worst time in the history of this world, except for when Noah was taken away and his family in the ark. This world, half its population, will be destroyed. Now you say, I want to learn about Revelation. Well, guess what? I got a bunch of YouTubes from the past that we went from the very beginning of Revelation all the way through the entire book on, on Wednesday nights. And if you'd like to go back, you can go back and listen to just about every one of those. And if you have insomnia at night, I can give you this book, I can give you this book, and if you're really struggling, I can give you this book. And that will tell you exactly about what's going to happen in the future. And that will be great reading for you. So God promised to save us from the wrath that has come. Matthew chapter 24, which is talking about the tribulation, not the rapture. He's talking about, as Brother Pete mentioned, to the Jews, not the church. And the Jews and the church are separate. They're not the same. And that's one of the areas where people get confused. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such not was sent since such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. For who, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, who died for us, talking about Jesus, that we'll be awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And why was Paul writing that? He was writing that to comfort the believers, saying, hey, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Remember you in school, in school days when you were a kid and you were having all these troubles and wonderful, diff, diff, all kind of problems? My parents would say, now if you want a present, Santa Claus is coming. You better be good. You better, you better, hey, you, you're, you might be on that naughty list. Some of you, some of you remember those days. Some of you remember that. Some remember that. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 9, the Lord North had delivered the godly out of temptations and reserved the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, because thou hast kept the, the word of my patience, I'll also keep thee from the hour of temptation, the hour, the hour of trial, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And dear friend, historically, 
It has been God's nature to remove his people from his wrath. The flood. Also, Sodom and Gomorrah. God's people had an opportunity to be taken away. Fourth, the church, us, will be absent during the great tribulation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Have the keys of death and hell. I write these things which have, have seen and things which are and things which shall, shall be after. See, I believe there's a chronological view of the book of Revelation. In verses, in chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Revelation, the church is mentioned 19 times. Read it. 19 times. Chapters 1 through 3. But in Revelation chapter 4 through 19, the church is not mentioned at all. Why? Because the church is in heaven. It's not on earth. It's in heaven. Revelation 2 verse 7. Let he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Again, this phrase, what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let, the, let he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. It's used seven times. But in 13, chapter 13 verse 9, when the church is in heaven, it says, He, if any man hath an ear, let him hear. Not to the churches. Why? Because the church is in heaven. The earth is going through the rapture of the church. The, the, the world is going to go through the, the great tribulation. And even during this time, people ask me, Preacher, are people going to be saved during the tribulation? Yeah. You read the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 11. There's going to be two witnesses who many people believe, though none are for sure. It's going to be Moses and Elijah. They're going to be here for a time, and they're going to be witnesses of the grace in God, and people are going to hear their preaching and repent of their sin and be saved. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, 114,000 young Jewish men will be released as evangelists throughout the whole world to preach the gospel of peace. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, an angel from heaven will preach the gospel of peace. Hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of people will be saved in the rapture, and many of them will be martyred and die for the faith. Number five, only a pre-tribulation rapture best explains who the restrainer is. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, let's, let me read it to you. The Bible says, and now you know that, that withholdeth, that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until, until he be taken out of the way. Who is the he that's in until he be taken out of the way? Well, let me tell you, who resides in every believer? The Holy Spirit. What's going to happen during the rapture of the church? We who have the Holy Spirit in us will be gone. And that will be the perfect time for the Antichrist to be revealed. You see, right now, the truth of the Word of God is restraining him. The church is restraining him. But specifically, the Holy Spirit is restraining the Antichrist to be revealed. But when he is no longer here because he is in us and we're in heaven, that will give a perfect opportunity for him to come and make that peace treaty with Israel, which is going to happen. And that's exactly what's going to happen. After the rapture of the church, the Antichrist will come. With all signs and wonders, many people believe that he is Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. Many of the, many of the Jews believe he's the one they've been longing and waiting for. But they, after 
the abomination of the the desolation of the temple. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. The Bible says they will come to their senses. They will realize for the first time that they were wrong, they've been lied to, and that Jesus Christ, who came to die for their sins, was the true Messiah. And they will weep because they realize they were wrong. Number six, only a pre-tribulation rapture makes space for the wedding supper of the Lamb. You guys like a, a meal? You like to eat? You're all Baptists. I know you all like to eat. But what if you could eat and you got no calories? Oh, man. Somebody say hallelujah. Praise God. Wave a hanky. Something, you know. It's, it's the holidays. And if you're ever going to gain weight, you know it's going to be during the holidays. But, dear friend, we're going to have a wedding supper of the Lamb. It's Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. As I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, multitude, and as the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife had made ready her, made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the white, fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. This is going to happen, I believe, while, while the world is going through chaos and the wrath of God is being poured upon them, we, I believe, towards the end of the tribulation are going to have this marriage supper of the Lamb. It is interesting to note, just as a Jewish groom would leave his home, travel to his bride's home, and pay a bride price, which is a dowry, Jesus left his heavenly home, came to earth, and paid our bride price on the cross. Just as the covenant between a couple was legally ratified by the sharing of a meal, Jesus shared his last supper with his disciples. Just as the groom returned to prepare a place for his bride, Jesus returned to his heavenly home to prepare a place for us. Just as the groom returned for his bride at an unexpected time. Jesus tells his bride, the church, to be ready for an unexpected return. Just as the groom eventually did return to bring his wife and consummate the marriage, a consummation that lasted for seven days, Jesus returned to consummate his marriage to the church during the seven years of tribulation. Isn't that amazing? We are going to get to go through a wedding and eat and fellowship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because we've been invited and we accepted the invitation through the blood of the crucified one. And finally, and I believe most importantly, why do we as a church believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Because only by believing in a pre-tribulation rapture can there be the imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We believe, according to the authority of the Word of God, that Jesus Christ could come back at any time. We believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could come back today. He could come back tomorrow. He would come before you get that Sunday's barbecue, before you, 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 you grab that rib and stick it in your mouth. He could come. There's nothing keeping him from coming. Now, he may not come immediately, like right now, but we believe there's nothing, nothing, nothing keeping him from coming. Why do we believe that? You know one of the sayings of the church, back in those days when the early church, the saying was Maranatha. That was Aramaic for, for saying it was a greeting which means our Lord come. 
when we, when we went around and fellowship during their fellowship time, wherever, however that looked, they would go, Maranatha, 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 meaning our Lord come. Now, dear friend, if they had to wait for the Antichrist to come, how would they say our Lord come? If they had to wait for the abomination of desolation in the middle of the tribulation, why would they say our Lord come? If they had to wait till the whole thing was over and they was going to turn with the saints, why would they say, our Lord come? Why would they want pain and problems to come if they believed? Why would, why would they even do that? They wouldn't. They believed the next thing that would happen was Jesus would come again. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, we are now the sons of God. We look for the Lord Jesus Christ in anticipation, but also realizing that someday, any time now, we can meet him. That should motivate us to live righteously and godly in this wicked generation. Why? Because he could come back at any time. Now, if something has to happen before he comes back, then why don't we just live like we want to live? And when the trouble really happens, okay, now we'll, now we'll start will start coming. Like, you know, you were doing bad in the house and all of a sudden you heard your mom pull up in the driveway or dad pull up in the driveway. Oh, put away all that stuff. I got to act good now. No, dear friend, any time Jesus Christ could come, that's why now the church needs to be, now we need to be getting right with God. Now is the time where people need to be saved. Now is the time when we know the truth. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. This is how we're supposed to live, soberly. Better be, hey, better be sober. Better be right, righteously and godly in this present world, looking, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear friend, what are we looking for? I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the uppertaker. I'm looking for Jesus Christ to come any time. To that trumpet to be blown. And hear those words, come up hither. You say, how can you trust what is being said in this book? You've read so many words, Pastor Moves, so many verses. But how can we trust this verse? Remember, at the beginning of the sermon, I read to you eight prophecies or several prophecies that, that already came to pass. Like Jesus would be born of a virgin, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And I said to you, I said to you, that according to what's already been done, there has been over 300 prophecies already fulfilled from what Jesus was told was going to happen in the Old Testament to what actually happened in the New Testament. Well, in a book that I rec highly recommend called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell by Josh and Charles McDowell. It was first written by, by, by Josh McDowell, then his son came along and read a second book. In that book, there was a man by the name of Peter Stoner who in his book, Science Speaks, examines the mathematical probabilities that apply to the fulfillment of prediction. Now remember, three, over 300 prophecies that what happened in the Old Testament came to pass in the in New Testament. These are clear, these are true, 
without any doubt, exactly what happened in the old was prophesied actually happened in the new. I read you several already. The probability that only eight, only eight out of the 300, just probability that eight came to pass, that would be 10 to the 17th power. Now, for us folks who didn't do too good in math, that means one was 17 zeros. That's a whole lot. But said, preacher, now, you know, I, I'm not too good in math. Will you break that down to me? I'm going to break that down to you. How many of you have been to Texas? Been to Texas. Pretty big state, right? Pretty big state. Imagine the whole state of Texas being covered two feet deep with silver dollars. The whole state of Texas covered two feet deep with silver dollars. And one of those coins be marked with an X. Texas, big state, second biggest in the entire country. Two feet deep, silver dollars. One is marked with an X. And then somebody come in and just scatter all those around throughout the whole state of Texas. And then one person says, I'm going to find that X on that silver dollar. He would be blindfolded and, and set outside the state and said, find the X. Find the silver dollar with the X. The probability that just eight prophecies would come to pass would be like that person finding a silver dollar somewhere in Texas. You see, friend, without a shadow of a doubt, this word is true. This is true. I can't promise you a lot of things in life is true. I can't promise you what you read in the paper is true. What you see on TV is true. But I can promise you one thing without a shadow of a doubt, the Bible's true. Now, friends, if that is true, think about what it says about us as people. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. What does that mean? It means it's impossible on your own to get to heaven. You know, for, seven, for almost 17 years, I went to a Baptist church. Mom took me, mom drugged me many of those years. If it wasn't mom, it was girlfriends later on in my teenage, teenage years. But I went, I sat in the back, and I heard the preaching from the preacher. And if you'd have asked me many a time, do you believe in God? I'd have said, yeah, I believe in God. But I didn't. I believed him here. I believed in a God. I believed in, I, believe, I, I knew who Jesus was. I knew he went to the cross. I knew he died for my sins. I believe, that, I believe there was a heaven, there was a hell. But I did not have a relationship with him. It wasn't a personal relationship with him. Until April the 15th, 1989, when I was, in, I was invited to come to a youth activity by a girl. And that evangelist said, Jesus Christ is coming back. And all those who do not know him in the rapture of the church, because it's coming, will be left behind. Imagine that rapture happening right now. And I have no, no doubt in my mind, if the rapture happened right now and every person who was saved will be gone, every person who does not know Jesus Christ, or maybe you think you know Jesus Christ, but you have a belief in him, but you have no relationship with him. Or you say, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe. You believe, but you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with him. You don't walk with him. You don't talk with him. There's no relationship. You would be left here, sitting exactly where you were. 
that your life for the next seven years would literally be like hell on earth. Because that's exactly what it's going to be like, hell on earth. You know, dear friend, I'm not trying to scare you. Absolutely, I am. Because more than anything in the world, I want you to know Jesus Christ. And if we left in the rapture of the church, it happened right now, and you didn't know Christ as your Savior, and you're left behind, imagine how frantic you would be. Imagine how scared you would be. Imagine how your, cha- your life would change. And I guarantee you, just like so many different lies we've heard from those in authority over the years, there would be some type of lie of why everybody left. The aliens. Probably be one of them. But there'll be, be all type of theories. There'll be all type of reasons why all these millions of people have left. But dear friend, you'll be left behind. And the Bible says God himself is going to str- send a strong delusion And most people will not believe the truth. They're going to believe a lie. You see, friend, that's why we have Nate Tannehill going to Peru. That's why I'm going out next Saturday on passing out tracts. That's why I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. That's why I go down to the University of Florida and I pass out these right here. That's why I do it. Why do I do it? Because I don't want the rapture to come and folks to be left behind. But as sure as I'm standing here, the rapture is going to become and thousands, yea, millions, yea, billions of people will be left behind. And they will be, they will be lied to. They will be killed. Some of them, as you've heard, and it's another, another, another whole topic, the mark of the beast. Oh, dear friend, it's going to be some scary times. It's going to be the scariest time in the history of the world. Let me ask you a question. Would you be left behind? If the rapture happened right now and Jesus took his children home, do you know you are his child? I didn't say, do you think? I didn't say, did you hope? I didn't say, did you want to? I say, do you know that you know that you know Jesus as your Savior right now? If you don't, now's the time. What are you waiting for? Now's the time. It's the age of grace. It's the church age. Jesus Christ is calling. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord be saved. Recognize the fact that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself. Recognize the fact that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone, you'll be saved. You call on him. You ask him to save you. You see, you can't get to heaven because you're a sinner. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin on Calvary. That's why he came. That's why he died, to shed his blood on the cross, to pay for your sins. And if you place your trust, you place your faith on him, you will be saved. Trust in Jesus. That's why we say this most important verse that we say all year long, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Dear friend, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Now, I'm I'm, I'm asking this to you personally. Imagine just you and me in my office, and I would sit across the desk, and I'd just say to you, John, Sarah, or Mary, do you know Jesus as your Savior? It's just me and you in that room. Nobody else is there. What would you say to me? You say, preacher, I know. And this is how I know. When I was five, when I was 15, or when I was a little girl, when I was a little boy, I made sure 
I know Jesus as my Savior. But if you, I was in my office right now, and if she was there, just you and I, and you could not give me a Bible reason why you know you're going to heaven, you'd be raptured in the church, your dear friend, please, I beg you, I plead with you today. Know Jesus today. Get saved today. What's keeping you? You want to go through seven years of wrath? You say, well, maybe that's true. I just told you the probabilities of the scripture being true. I just, I proved to you, I showed you. The Bible is true. Heaven's real. Jesus is real. The wrath that's coming is real. Hell is real. And Jesus Christ came so that you, so that you wouldn't have to perish, but you could repent. At 17 years of age, I saw myself, Marty Moon is a sinner. I repented of my sin. I didn't want to keep going down this way. I turned and I placed my faith on Jesus Christ. And I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. That was the most important decision of my life. And dear friend, it will be the most important decision of your life. Would you do that today? You say, preacher, I am saved. Then I'm going to ask you a second question. Are you ready? If Jesus Christ came back today, would you say, oh, no, 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 no. I got some things in my refrigerator. I got some things in my car. I got some things under my pillow, under my bed. I wouldn't want him to see. Dear friend, he already sees it. It's time to get clean. Get clean. Get right now. Confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now's the time to get right. The Savior is coming back, and he could come back today. Does that make you afraid? Or does that make you say, oh, Lord, I can't wait. You know what we should be doing? Being busy. Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. Dear friend, you need Jesus. Dear friend, accept him before it's too late. Dear friend, you need Christ as your Savior. If there's ever a time the church needs to be telling people about Jesus, now's the time. Now's the time. Oh, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Oh, Lord, please, please, please. If there be some in this room who does not know you, would you save them before it's too late? For the day is coming when it will be too late. Too late for tears. Too late for crying out. Too late for, I wish I could have. Too late for, if I only. Too late. Too late. Too late. Head bowed, eyes closed. It's just me and you. No one else is looking around. It's just me, you, and the good Lord right now. I'm sitting across the table from you, and I'm asking you a question. If you were to die right now, where would you go? Heaven or hell? Honestly, where would you go? Heaven or hell? 